So a lot of people are essentially saying a DAO is like a subreddit with a bank account attached. That can that can sound really messy, but actually this type of swarm intelligence that is managed in a democratic fashion can unlock entire new ways of collaboration and new ways of trust. For us, what DAOs bring to the longevity research is really opening up the research process, making it accessible and making it much more democratic for people to get involved. I think the hurdles for many people to come and work at a longevity startup or work at a longevity VC and actually get involved in, in building the future that they want to see is really high. And for us, DAOs lower that hurdle and lower the access to entry. And through that, unlock really new creative forms of, of working together. This conversation is live from Foresight's first You gathering in Berlin in September 2021. We used to be in San Francisco first, before we expanded online during COVID, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise. We managed to pick up so many amazing humans from across the world who are all goal-aligned in driving tech to our beneficial futures. Now that COVID is coming down, we wanted to meet all of you across the world. So we combined cyberspace with our physical communities and met you in Berlin. This is the first of two panels. We discuss longevity, cryo, and crypto. The best happens at the intersection of disciplines. Our panelists are Ola Menching from Apollo VC, Emil Kansiero from Tomorrow Biostasis, and Tyler Gelato and Paul Kohas from VitaDAO. You can watch the full episode and sign up to join our next in-person gathering, a parallel event across continents held in parallel across a castle in France and at the Internet Archive in San Francisco on our website. Enjoy! I'm terribly, terribly excited to have all of you here. Uh, we will be doing two panels uh, tonight. So first panel, I want to ask up on stage Ole from Apollo, Emil from Tomorrow Based Thesis, and then the VitaDAO guys, Tyler and Paul. Please come up on stage. All right. Um, all right. Are you ready? Okay. Before we get to ask you, I want to ask you guys again. Uh, this is ultimately, I think, supposed to be a two-way conversation. So first question is, who here, if they had the chance, would like to live a longer life than they currently think that they're doing if it was healthy? Hands up. Oh, wow. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to do that? Okay, a few. <laughs> who here is signed up to cryonics? Who's under, signed up to cryonics? Raise your hand. Okay, you have work to do, Emil. You have work to do here. <laughs> And uh, who here is... Uh, holding, okay, you don't have to answer this, but who is holding, let's say, over 50% of their current wealth in crypto? Okay, who here is participating in a cryptocurrency or crypto cryptocurrency project or a DAO project or anything in crypto commerce? Hands up. Okay, great. So you know who to talk to and who you know who to onboard and evangelize around for later tonight. Um, Okay, now I want to introduce you guys. Very, very happy to have you guys here. Thank you so much for joining. We have Ole from uh, Apollo VC, and this is really like, I think, the number one uh, first stop shop that you come to town to if you want to do anything longevity-related in Europe. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining. Then we have Emil from Tomorrow Biostasis, which is, I think, really your best option if you want to um, have the plan B of Quionex, and uh, especially if you want to do it in Europe. So thank you so much for joining, Emil. And then you have Tyler and Paul from VitaDAO. 
Uh, and they are doing, I think, what Foresight really likes to do, which is bridging two silos. Uh, and you're bridging the silo of crypto or the crypto commerce space and longevity. So uh, I think thank you very, very much for joining. Super excited to have you here. Um, and yeah, we can launch right into the first questions, I think. We'll start with you. Uh, and then we have a few rounds here. And then we'll get to audience questions before we will disperse in different areas of the room and you get to ask them in private if you want to. Okay, first question for you. Why is longevity really exciting? What do people don't get about it that they really should be getting? And what has changed recently in the investment landscape that you're really excited about? How much time have I um, to answer this question? <laughs> Two minutes? Okay, I think um, there are a lot of reasons. Uh, first of all, I think um, since mankind um, exists, we are thinking about living longer or about immortality um, even like in the in the um, oldest um, known novel of humankind, um, the Gilgamesh, um, immortality um, is one part of the story. But uh, what have changed? And I mean, you can go on and on and on. I mean, um, also like in, in China, the kings try to live longer. There are a lot of um, stories about that. In Europe, they um, tried that and so on. But um, I think what has really changed um, since we are thinking about that is um, that since the last 10 To 15 years, we have a much better understanding why humans age and what kind of problems we have to solve to not age anymore. So, um, and of course, I mean, there was a paper, I think in 2013, the hallmarks of aging. Um, does anyone know, know this paper? Okay. Yeah. A few people know that paper. So I, I think this was really like a shift in the entire industry because it was the first paper, um, that really, um, looked at the single, um, processes of aging. And, um, had like different categories of, um, aging classified. And, um, since, since, um, this paper and the main, even before, but I mean, since this paper, I think, um, the entire space, um, has accelerated. Um, and, um, the first companies evolved, um, that are doing something, um, about aging and, um, trying to develop drugs against that. And, um, so, I mean, I think this is actually the biggest point. Yeah. We have much more knowledge today. So now we can do something about it. And it's not science fiction anymore. Now um, it's really coming into science. So, and uh, more and more, of course, this takes a long time until, um, most people will learn about that. Um, but I think we have um, reached an inflection point here, um, where um, enough people have learned about it and enough investors have learned about it to do something, um, in that space. Um, so as I would say, um, this is the first point. Um, then I think that um, biotech um, as an industry is um, on an inflection point um, because of several reasons. Um, first of all, um, I would say, I mean, there are a lot of new technologies, for example, like CRISPR-Cas. I mean, I think um, everyone here knows CRISPR. Is there someone who doesn't know about CRISPR-Cas, about gene editing? I mean, it's a mean question because the uh, default is, if I would have asked <laughs> who knows about it, or maybe ask who knows about it. I see almost all hands here. <laughs> so, but I mean, uh, what most people don't know, and um, when I tell them that, they are really um, astonished about that fact is, I mean, the I mean, the technology is based on a paper that was published in 2012. This is not long ago, right? And now every, fuck, I'm sorry, every university lab in the world can, <laughs> can use this technology. And there are a lot of um, therapeutic approaches based on this technology. And they are, I mean, this is just like the tip of the iceberg. They are, much more technologies um, in biotech, which are really innovative, really new. And now um, uh, there are people who are making use of that. Um, then I think um, AI for most industries, it was a little bit, or I would call it machine learning. I think there is no AI yet, but there's machine learning. For most industries, it didn't work um, as well as people thought it would. 
But in biotech, machine learning is working really well. And it's working for different um, kind of stuff. It's working for lab automatization. It's working for finding new targets. It's um, working for finding molecules and so on and so forth. It's working very well. Then you have um, lab automatization um, as a, yeah, um, um, as something that is um, accelerating the entire drug development process. I mean, um, labs um, or um, drug development labs today can work several times faster than like 20 years ago. Um, and um, you have a matured CRO industry. So, I mean, um, I think 15 years ago, um, people like us, we couldn't do drug development. You needed a pharma company. You need, needed a lot of resources. You have to build up labs. You have to hire the people. You needed to um, get the uh, mice models and so on and so forth, right? Um, today, I mean, if I want to start an Alzheimer's um, trial, I can call a CRO in India. He will have um, the right um, animal model. He has the right knowledge. He has all the facilities and I can just do it, right? Um, so um, there's an inflection point in the um, bio industry. Um, more and more um, people recognize that. And then, I mean, of course, we also have macroeconomic factors. Um, there's a lot of money in the markets. Um, tech is overfunded. People are looking for new investment opportunities. Great. To make it short. <laughs> very short. Okay. Well, there's lots of, I guess that there's really lots of factors, I think, that are playing into it. Um, okay. Emil, there's a really fantastic Wait But Why article on why cryonics makes sense. Who here has read that article? Yeah. Okay. Good. And you're not signed up yet. Exactly. Um, okay. What do you say when people are like, what the hell, cryonics? WTF. People. Uh, what do you say is the number one argument why people should care about cryonics and should maybe consider signing up? Well, most people already agreed, right? Because the, when, when the question was asked if anybody wants to live longer, most of the people raised, raised their hands. And then the people who raised their hands when the question was asked if they're signed up, most of them were was our team. So I think the market size is still, there's a good amount of market size still here. Um, I, I think the fundamental idea, of course, is is, is twofold, right? So if someone agrees that they would like to live significantly longer than they currently can, um, then arguably there are two things that might happen, right? So first of all, it might be possible that at some point down the line, there will be this magical drug that this guy and the other guys are developing and you just take it and you this live. guy alone. Yeah, and, and others and, and uh, some others. Exactly. So in private, they say uh, slightly different things. And so, so I, I very much hope that they're right. I very much hope that I will never need to use what I'm building, right? And I'm totally okay with that, right? I, I'm totally okay with in 20 years down the line, I need to do the apology tour where I need to tell everybody, you know, I was always the pessimist. I just, I'm very confident this unfortunately will not be the case. And the other point being, I'm, I'm come from medicine, so I'm a doctor by training, right? And so, so unfortunately, also young people get like these weird, you know, you know, go with a cough to the hospital and then it's cancer. Right. Statistically speaking, of course, that's not super likely. But then the cost of cryopreservation, since most people fund it with term life insurance, is adjusted to that risk. So it's pretty cheap to just do. Right. With us, it's 50 bucks a month. Right. 50 euros a month. So, so I think fundamentally, if people think, okay, I want to live longer. And if they don't, that's totally fine as well. But if you already made that decision for yourself, then signing up for cryopreservation is just, you know, arguably the logical step, right? And um, signing up with us is significantly easier than with anybody else before, right? Because my, my contract with Alco from the past took me six months to sign up. So I know why some people don't want to do that. With us, it's like, I don't know, a couple of minutes. Yeah. Maybe you can prove it by signing someone up tonight that could then wave the hand and answer yes instead. More than open to that. <laughs>
Yeah. All right. Next one up here. What do you think you have to bring new to the longevity space uh, coming from crypto and bridging the two gaps? What's new about VitaDAO's approach to longevity? What's wrong with the, or like, what's up with the entire IP process? Why is that so screwed? And what are you doing about it? You attach at the hip, you're one human. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe let me address the first question. So maybe what is new about DAOs? Um, so DAOs are a really new form, a really new form of organization. Um, people started building DAOs, I think, about four to five years ago. And I think we've reached a turning point really this year where um, DAOs have become a really efficient way to organize a community and give a community access to capital. So a lot of people are essentially saying, a DAO is like a subreddit with a bank account attached. Um, that, can, that can sound really messy, but actually this type of swarm intelligence um, that is managed in a democratic fashion can unlock entire new ways of collaboration and new ways of trust. Um, and so for, our, for us, what, um, what, what DAOs bring to the longevity research is really opening up the research process, making it accessible and making it much more democratic for people to get Uh, to get involved. I think the hurdles for many people to come and work at a longevity startup or work at a longevity VC and actually get involved in, in building the future that they want to see is really high. And for us, um, DAOs lower that hurdle and lower the access to entry. And through that, unlock really new creative forms of, of working together. I said so. <laughs> um, yeah, so following on on that, I mean, there's there's a couple of trends that have been happening in, in the longevity space that I think um, uh, Olis spoke to one of them. So, you know, post-2013 and post-Guido Cromer's Hallmarks of Aging paper, there's really been, along with your sort of Aubrey de Grey's of the world com coming to prominence, there's been a lot of enthusiast interest that has been building in the longevity space. It's a space that I think, let's say a lot of people, if you're familiar with like the longevity community subreddit, for example, there's maybe a hundred thousand people who spend a lot of their time, not as biologists and not necessarily as somebody that has deep domain experience in the space, exploring it and trying to understand it. And, you know, there's, there's a lot, a lot of those people have, you know, some level of, of, of time and also in many cases, some level of, of, yeah, um, cash or, or interest in, in actually investing in or dedicating that, that time and funding to the space. So DAOs provide On the first level, level, some some vehicle for those people to become directly involved. And actually, in the current setup that we have with VitaDAO, it's really around governing intellectual property that's emerging from um, therapeutic research projects in the longevity space. And the particular gap that we're looking at here is really a stage at which you have an academic that maybe has gone from, let's say, a basic research project into maybe early stage drug discovery is no longer really uh, in a position where they can get grant funding, but is maybe still a little bit too early to be funded by, let's say, a startup like Apollo. We're trying to provide really, in essence, almost bridge funding to try to help them bridge the sort of translational gap and get their drugs closer to the point where they could be spun out into um, uh, a startup or, or acquired. Manual, a factory line. You know, yeah. it's like early stage, it comes Apollo, if it doesn't work, then you go to... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why you do all of them at once to just if you, to really hedge your bets? All right. Do you want to react to each other? And also, are there any audience questions? We'll go around with the mic in a second. So if you want to come up with one, now is a really good time to do so. Any I'm, reactions to each other? Yeah, I would like to ask uh, Ole a question just in terms of, so when Apollo goes out, uh, I, I was really interested because I, I didn't realize actually that a big part of Apollo's thesis is actually looking at academics who are quite early stage and, and actually at an earlier stage. And I think 
a lot of VCs would would go out and invest. What are the sort of key things that you're looking for in a project when you when you're looking at, let's say, an academic who might not be commercially oriented, who might not be, let's say, even thinking about find, uh, creating a startup company, but in your mind, you're interested in really trying to make their project commercially viable? Yeah, sure. Happy to to answer um, to that question. So actually, Apollo is doing a lot of company building. So 50% of our funds um, we are not using for external investments, but for companies um, that we create and build ourselves. Um, so and what we do there, I mean, we are in constant um, contact with a lot of um, institutes and universities who are doing research um, in our field or in the topics we are interested in. And um, when we are looking, I mean, so when we want to start a company with these academics, um, so what is very important, of course, is the science. I mean, um, we always do um, so-called so, so uh, killer experiments. So um, we either um, repeat the studies they did in the university and <laughs> it's amazing how many um, uh, studies don't replicate, like in a, at a CRO or something like that. <laughs> unfortunately, and um, I mean, and I mean, in the, in the best case, um, we do even more. So um, we do another spin to the um, studies, and we really try to see um, if the mechanism of action works. And um, in the in the best of the best cases, um, we also have um, first stocks data. But um, apart from that, um, of course, it's also important um, to negotiate for IP. I mean, that the university um, plays along. Um, so I think this is not such a big topic in the U.S. because they are tech um, uh, transfer offices. They're used to it. They know how it works. In Europe, it's much dif more difficult. So um, professors don't see themselves as entrepreneurs. Um, they want to be entrepreneurs, by the way. This is another problem. Um, but um, the universities, they don't know um, what is um, the standard of the industry for the IP and so on and so forth. So you have to, to negotiate with them. So I mean, sometimes we negotiate with the university for um, nine months or longer. I mean, this I mean, this really big work, it's, it's insane. It's insane. And um, then what is also important, I mean, if the technology is good, if you find an agreement with the university, you also have to find an agreement with the professors because um, some professors, they want to become CEOs of the biotech company and professors are very good at science, but they are like, they really suck mostly. They really suck at um, founding businesses and managing businesses. So um, it's, I mean, so we expect from the professors that they step aside um, at least after, um, I mean, after the first studies are done and then we can, um, implement like a proper CEO there. So making friends as you go. <laughs> All right. Um, I will now make an awkward mic change where you will get this one and Tyler will get this one and say a word about yourself, maybe. So they have context on your question. Hi, um, word on myself. I'm a writer. That Stay up. So uh, this is a question for Emil, which is, can you talk about the pros and cons of freezing the entire body versus just the head? Right. Uh, already. <laughs> no, I accept it by now. Um, um, so, so yeah, so, so historically there was this idea that, um, so first of all, we only do whole body, right? And part of it is arguably a medical reason and most of it is a marketing reason, right? So, so, The reason, of course, being for even for people who are very down with the idea, this idea of just having like the Futurama head in a in like in some bucket, right? This is significantly weirder, right? So it's significantly more acceptable to say, hey, just your whole body is cryopreserved, and then once technology exists, it's being taken out of cryopreservation, right? Historically, there was this idea that neuro only, which means head only, um, has higher quality. Um, and that, that is to a degree how the cannulation is, it's a detail, how the perfusion with the cryoprotective agent was done. Since we cannulate the heart, 
so the cryopreservation agent is done through the heart, this difference doesn't exist. So by and large, um, we decided to only go for whole body because to make this whole thing work in the long run, significantly more people need to sign up for this topic, right? To be then able to fund research because this is fundamentally what we do, right? So fundamentally what we're running, we're running a, a, a company that then at some point hopefully gets large enough to be able to continuously fund research. Because don't get me wrong, cryopreservation still needs a lot of research as well. Just it's a more tangible option if something happens to you short term, right? Uh, Jesse Kate, I, I work on space governance. I'll be on the next panel, so I'll talk more then. But uh, there's a question about also um, uh, cryogenic um, preservation. I think that most of the time, the argument is sort of like, you can only, can you hear me okay? You can only kind of win or break even by opting into this. You know, like either you'll never wake up again, and so you might as well try it, or like something interesting will happen, and so why not extend your your lifespan? But I think actually when when I, you know, meditate on the question of why I haven't signed up, the, the risk is more that I wake up in some dystopic future where I'm, you know, enslaved, you know, like Matrix style or, you know, I'm I am like co-opted to kind of uh, manufacture kind of dystopian futures that I don't want to participate in. And so I wonder maybe both from a kind of like, how do you answer that on a panel standpoint through to just like philosophically who, w which kind of scholars and thinkers have really addressed this question and how we how we like collectively should be thinking about that. Right. So so my core argument be, is usually that if you look over longer stretches of history, the world is the best world we've ever had. By all measurements, right? Child mortality, people living under the poverty line and so on. It doesn't look like that right now for most people at least, but usually well, you don't have this zoomed out picture, right? So of course there are hiccups and so on. But by and large, by most measurements, we live in the best you know, time ever, right? I would not like to trade with any point in the past. Um, so the likelihood that the future is going to continue like that, I would argue has better historic data than the other way around, right? And of course, maybe Trent can talk about AI, like, you know, dystopian AIs later. Um, um, I'm, I'm not sure. So, so there's only this one case, right? So, so first of all, I mean, people theoretically could at that point, if this, it's, a, it's an unbearable future, right? Either you would at that point decide it's still bearable enough to be, you know, a positive outcome, or arguably there might be some way of assisted suicide or suicide or whatever, right? So I think the downside of waking up in a dystopian future that where you then will regret that you will, that you have done cryopreservation. I don't put a high probability on that. Whereas personally, I'd rather take that, you know, it's not zero, there's some risk. Um, so I'd rather take that risk than be buried and, you know, be gone forever. So it's, it's a trade-off in the end. Um, hi, is the mic on? Oh yeah, it is. Um, so it might be again, maybe like a beginner's question for uh, Emil. Again, about this cryo thing. I'm really confused. So, sure. are you preserving? Like, is is the idea to investigate or research how people are like cooled? Like, cooling down is always an aspect of it, right? So, but they are still like made out of water for the most part, right? So, I don't fully understand the concept. Like, are we going to wake up being humans or? 
are you hoping for us to like transfer our consciousness to some machine? Because I don't see that process happening in humans, like physically, unless you like inject some stuff. And, and we do. Um, so, so, um, of course, so this is, this is why, when, when, why being frozen is the wrong word. It's colloquially always the word that is being used, but like 50% of the technology we use is to not freeze anything, right? So the, the, the technical term is vitrification. So a cryoprotective agent is basically infused, perfused to the whole body, which replaces the, the, the water and makes the water not freeze. Right. So the idea and fundamentally is right. So your, the part that makes you, you and the part that makes me, me and the parts that makes everybody else themselves. Well, it's our brain and the connections, right? And the weights between those connections and so on. So that part is being kept. Right. Say again. It's replaced against a cryoprotective agent. So you basically, you, with the circulatory system, you, you, you circulate a cryoprotective agent that is not water based. But it's, a, it's basically a medical antifreeze. So just like in your car, um, it's, it's a solution that doesn't freeze under zero, right? So in, with that state, no ice crystal. Like if you have that, no ice crystal is forming. And when I say no, there are still some ice crystals, but this is why this is still a research topic, right? And why there needs to be significantly more research and so on. But the logic is that no ice crystals forming and basically the cellular structure and so on is kept like it is. And now with advanced technology in the future, we might at some point be able to resuscitate that body and just, you know, revive them. Um, yes. Hi, I'm Moritz. I um, run an analytics company. And this is a question not to Emil. Um, sort of thinking, I, I guess, mostly to all of but maybe to you too as well. So thinking of sort of how you can prolong human life, I guess there's two ways to it one is sort of you prevent sickness or you, you basically stop sickness and the other one is you just stop people from getting sick now for the first part for curing sick people i think you know we have the typical sort of medicine like medicine kind of some monetization approach now for things where you basically stop people from getting sick and aging how sort of how do you prove that first and sort of how does that sort of how, how, how does that how do you translate that into monet into monetization model? Because I would assume they're very different, these two. Um, yeah, um, that, that's a very interesting question. Actually, one of the biggest problems um, that we are facing. Um, because, I mean, of course, what we want to do is um, that we want to prevent people from getting age-related diseases. And if you look at age-related diseases, um, so, I mean, people are like mostly healthy until they are 60, 65. And then you see really like if you compare the, the curves of like... Um, cardiovascular diseases like um, CNS diseases and so on and so forth, like all these curves, they, they, they run in parallel and then they spike after the age of um, uh, 65. Because, um, I mean, they are all due, they all have the same causes, right? Um, so I give you an example. If you would um, bring out a pill tomorrow that can um, cure all the cancers in the world, people on average um, would only live three years longer because they wouldn't die from cancer, but they would um, die from another age-related disease. So what we really try to do is focus on the root mechanisms of aging and um, stop these processes. Um, but um, here we have a big problem because at the moment um, there are not many good biomarkers for the onset of, of age-related diseases and for aging itself. I mean, of course, you have stuff like the Hovart clock or something like that. But I, the Hovart clock, 
Um, it's a um, clock for methylation, for DNA methylation. And um, I mean, it, the more uh, methylation you have, the older you are biologically. But I mean, it's all, I mean, so for example, if you can, um, if you can rewind the clock, nobody knows if you, I mean, for example, there, um, there was a company that could um, rejuvenate the thymus. The thymus is um, very important for your immune system. And it could also um, like um, rewind like the, the um, Harvard clock. But it's not really clear if you're really younger than, you know, if you have less methylation. So, um, I mean, th this is an area which is really um, under-researched and um, there are no good companies on the market. But, um, I mean, Apollo is also working on that problem. I can't tell you much about it, but you're, you're right, it's a big problem. So what we want to do is prevent from age-related diseases and what we need is biomarkers for that. The entire industry is in desperate need of biomarkers for aging. Maybe just to add one point onto that um, regarding the monetization and how you actually pay for prevention. So, I mean, there was a really interesting article some number of years ago that was written by Goldman Sachs that said, is curing disease a sustainable business model? And, and one of the things that we've seen over time is that pharmaceutical industries are not really incentivized to produce cures the same way they're actually not really incentivized to produce something that's that's preventative. But I would actually argue that from a pharmacological perspective, that long-term preventative therapeutics might actually have a better business model around them than something that cures because there's a, a chance, for example, if it's a pharmacological treatment, something that you could be taking every day for a long period of time probably has a business model behind it. But beyond that, one of the things that I'm really interested in and why I think DAOs are important in this context is actually to just sort of change the incentives around how something comes to market or how something is funded. So in, in the case of, to use, yeah, to punt my own example for a little bit, like, you know, the idea with VitaDAO is that if you bring together a community of, of, of patients or ultimately the people who are going to be the end users of a product, you can imagine, for example, uh, you know, if insulin was governed by diabetics, how would it be priced? How would it be managed? How would it be accessed? I think DAOs can play a really important transformative role in terms of actually, if you have the end users or ultimately patients that are funding and governing how a therapeutic comes to market, you might be able to change the incentives around how something is funded from being more, let's say, profit-driven to more of a, of, of a public good, in essence. Um, but yeah, this is something that's quite complicated and I think will take quite a long time to change because we, we definitely have a system that's somewhat resistant to that. All right. Thank you. Before we go into the break, I want you guys to just give an actionable item for people. So let's say they're inspired now, you know, they're like, they've bought in to what you were saying. How could they learn more about what you guys are up to? Um, what are you currently really focused on and how could people plug in? Um, yeah, so I mean, we have an open community. It's a Discord community. Anyone could join it. We're looking for people who are interested in, you have, let's say, a basal interest in longevity and want to contribute meaningfully to um, educating other people about this, contributing to um, helping source projects being a part of the dialogue, the most meaningful thing you could do is probably just simply join the Discord community. Um, and if you care about your own personal longevity, I would say, yeah, do everything you can to avoid stress. <laughs> um, <clears throat> something that's really easy and actionable, uh, you can try joining a DAO for like a week and, and just see what's happening and how these new communities form and what their purpose is. I think I've actually done the, just done the exercise of joining wild other DAOs that I'm trying to learn from and learn how they organize uh, internally, what their mission is, how they communicate with, with their kind of their outer rings. A DAO is kind of like an onion. So you have like the inner rings going into the outer rings. And even if you just peek into the outer ring, you'll see the glimpses of, uh, of a complete new way for society to organize itself. 
Uh, and DAOs have only been around for like six to 12 months. So you have to see it that limps in the, in the course of that, these, that they've existed in. But that's a really easy way to expose yourself to something completely new. And uh, again, they're all, most of them are very open. So you can do that for like a week and take away so many learnings for your own life, how you guys, how your company might organize. Um, yeah, that's something really easy and actionable. So 95% of your sets, they want to live longer. <laughs> so it's pretty clear what I'm going to say. No, seriously. So, so if anybody's interested, like, reach out to us. Like, we're more than happy, even if you're not decided yet, if you want to sign up. And if you have a lot of questions and you're not even sure that this is something that you really want to do, right? Um, there's a couple of my, 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 my team is here uh, back there. So um, talk to us. Um, we're more than happy to answer any questions, even if it's very basic questions or very complex questions, more than happy to discuss. And if anybody wants to sign up, hey, more than happy to reach out. It's tomorrowbiostasis.com if you don't feel like we have time tonight to talk. Yeah, okay. I think um, you can do much more on this side here than on my side because, I mean, we are a VC. Um, <laughs> if you're a biotech entrepreneur or professional investor, I'm happy to talk. <laughs> but but otherwise, I mean, we are in a quite regulated space, right? So um, that's why... Um, so, I mean, uh, of course, I mean, um, I'm, I'm not a doctor and I don't giving um, health advice, but I mean, there are some things you can do today to live longer. Um, you can talk to me later on, but I um, don't want to have that on videotape. Um, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and otherwise, I would say just spread the word um, that longevity is a super nice industry and that more people um, should look at that and should support the industry. Do you have a request for startups? Excuse me? Do you have a request for startups? A request for startups. Yeah, like what's, is there a place that entrepreneurs can go to look at the types of startups you would invest in? Or like specific company ideas that you want that nobody's building right now? I mean, yes, we are looking at some areas where we haven't um, found yet um, good translatable signs. For example, in epigenetic reprogramming. I don't know if you've seen that, but um, like one, I think yesterday actually. Um, there was this press release that uh, Jeff Bezos and um, Yuri Milner um, have invested millions in a company um, called Altos Labs, exactly. And um, I'm very curious. <laughs> so if they, if they really found something or if they just um, think that they have found something, because, I mean, we were looking in that, or we are looking into that space since three years or something like that. And we think, I mean, there was um, immediately also um, a lot of scientists like Ocampo. Um, we are talking to this guy frequently, um, who also said, I mean, this science is not translatable yet. But I mean, um, maybe they f I, I hope they found something. So we don't see them as competition at all. It's really good that um, some people putting big dollars there and um, trying to solve that problem. Um, and I mean, there, for example, um, telomere, um, telomere shortening is a problem um, where we haven't found technology yet, which is really translatable. And there are more topics. I mean, we can we can talk um, later on about that. And I mean, but there are a lot of topics actually where there is good science and um, which is translatable, and where we think um, it's it's very possible um, to develop a drug and um, solve that problem. And I think this is an important message. Did this conversation pique your interest? Maybe it even inspired a bit of existential hope about the future in you. Search for Fawcett Institute on YouTube or Twitter to stay up to date or visit Fawcett.org to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and join our efforts. We are entirely funded by your donations. So please support us if you like what we do. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah.